0: IBEC, the voice of Irish Business.
1: In this episode of IBEC Responds, Jackie King, Executive Director of IBEC Global, is in conversation with Artie McConnell, Assistant United States Attorney and Deputy Chief of the National Security and Cybercrime Section at the United States Attorney's Office for the Eastern District of New York. They discussed the significance of the new European Anti-Money Laundering Authority as well as the credentials required for hosting such a crucial authority and how reform of the transatlantic cooperation is needed when it comes to combating international crimes.
0: Welcome everybody as the European Union sets to put in place the new Anti-Money Laundering Authority uh, to fight financial crime in Europe. I am delighted to welcome Artie McConnell, Assistant United States Attorney and also Deputy Chief of National Security and Cybercrime Section at the U.S. Attorney's Office for Eastern District of New York. So welcome, Artie. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us about this. Maybe before we get into it, maybe tell us a little bit about you and and your job and, and what you
2: do at the U.S. DOJ. Sure. Well, thank you very much for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to be speaking about uh, this important topic. I, uh, as you said, I'm an assistant United States attorney, um, which is a federal prosecutor in the Eastern District of New York. And uh, in that role, I'm currently serving as the deputy chief of our national security and cybercrime section, um, which uh, handles really a, a, a very wide variety of, of issues related to uh, terrorism, terrorism, um global financial crime and frauds sanctions as well as um you know cyber crime issues uh so we we cover a lot of ground we're very busy and then just before we get started obviously i j- would just like to say that uh, my my opinions and, and views on our discussion today are my own and don't represent uh, department of justice policy
0: Very well noted, Artie. Thank you very much. Artie, as you know, Europe is about to set up its own Central Anti-Money Laundering Authority, or AMLA, to oversee anti-financial crime measures for all 27 member states. Up to now, many have seen the U.S. authority as the main enforcer of anti-money laundering, or AML laws, in Europe, with massive fines against many EU banks. What would your advice be? from the U.S. experience beyond factors to consider on the operation of AMLA and the second part to that question, where AMLA should be located. We are going through the process now of of selecting the location for this very important
2: authority. Sure. I mean, obviously it goes without saying how significant a, a issue money laundering is and continues to be and will continue to be in the future. It's connected to all of uh, illicit activity um that, that we investigate certainly in the in the United States and Europe as well and, and increasingly all over the world. Uh I think that AMLA, which represents a really exciting um development uh given the global nature of these cases. Um but as far as location, um I, I think it 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 should be in a Country that has strong diplomatic credentials, uh, st- a strong ethos with the with the rule of law, um, particularly given its role in overseeing uh, the uh, financial crime compliance department of of so many European banks. Um, I also think a a good strong foundation in financial compliance is important. It certainly would be an asset to allow AMLA to hit the ground running given the analytical work and the, the supervisory role it's going to have over uh, FIUs. So I think those are sort of two general things. I, I wanna be careful. I don't wanna uh, be a, an American telling Europeans what's what's best for their money laundering center. But those are some general things, I think based on my experience that, that'll that be very important. Um, and when you look at the, the major candidate cities, they, they all sort of bring something unique to the table. Uh, Obviously, some of the major, more traditional European capitals, Paris, Madrid, they're used to holding uh, multinational organizations um, and they have a lot of the factors I just mentioned. I think the Baltic states would be a very interesting choice as they've been on the front lines of a lot of these uh, money laundering threats. I know we have a large Irish uh, audience. I think Ireland and Dublin's candidacy uh, is extremely strong. It's it's growing into its own as a important, not only European but global uh, financial center. And and I can tell you from the U.S. perspective, the the close working relationship that um, we have with with Ireland and uh, that Ireland also enjoys with the United Kingdom, I think, would be a, a real asset, not only in in the criminal but also in the regulatory space.
0: Yeah, very interesting. And you're right, there's no shortage of good candidates. And the importance, I think AMLA will be important from an operational point of view, and to have strong transatlantic relationship will be critical. How, how do you see that working?
2: Well, it's difficult to say. I, I can tell you that the the, the transatlantic relationship, um, while strong, is is still in, in, in need of, of reform. Part of the issue that we face on both sides of the Atlantic, when investigating and and in some cases prosecuting. Transnational crime, global money laundering cases is the uh, ability to obtain evidence from a variety of foreign jurisdictions. We're always playing catch up. And so to the extent that AMLA is going to be able to streamline that process, both for the United States and also for, for the European Union getting evidence from the, from the U.S. in order to make cases and right, take regulatory actions there, I think it's going to be extremely important. And, and it's a very promising development. It's one I think everyone in my position is really looking forward to.
0: Yeah, we, we certainly agree on this side as well. And, you know, you mentioned that international cooperation, you know, just given the audience of our podcast, I believe you might have some Ireland specific cases of international cooperation, again, not asking you to favor one one bitter uh, country over another, but, but just uh, putting some tangible examples around what you just said.
2: No, absolutely. And I I think I've been I've been a prosecutor now for almost 20 years, and I can tell you that in in these types of cases, Ireland is is not only becoming an increasingly important partner, but we're we're just seeing it in a variety of different contexts, whether it's money laundering, cyber crime and related laundering. Uh, I mean, I, I think that that speaks to sort of the rise in the Irish economy and its importance globally and Dublin's strategic position within the the European Union. But um, we've had a a number of cases where Ireland and the US-Irish cooperation has played an important role. We had a case a few years ago um, where we prosecuted several individuals who were laundering money and processing payments as part of a giant uh, mass mail fraud campaign and We rely very closely on our cooperation with the Irish authorities to take down one of the nodes of that conspiracy, which was in Shannon. Uh, In the more regulatory uh, space rather than the criminal context, there have been a number of sanctions levied by our Treasury Department that have been the result of cooperation with Irish authorities and the result of uh, cases that have been made in, in Ireland. And, and I can tell you that we've got a number of, of active investigations and cases that we're looking at right now on the cybercrime front and on the uh, export control and sanctions front where where Ireland's uh, playing an increased role. So I would only expect that to continue. Okay, that's great. And,
0: and maybe staying with the theme of cooperation, much of the talk on this side of the Atlantic is about growing public private partnerships or P3s between financial institutions, regulators, and law enforcement. Are you a fan of that?
2: I'm a I'm a big fan. It's something that that we're trying to do uh, not only in my office and in my section, but but I think nationwide. I think there's a recognition that whether it's educational institutions, research laboratories, companies, they're often on the front lines of really um, significant illicit Activity and that they can gatekeep. They can, they can report things. And so I think outreach from our sector to private companies is, is just really critical. The dialogue is important. I think it's important to put names to faces. And again, I'll tell you that a lot of our most significant cases over the last couple of years have either been started or been supported by tips that we have received as a result of connections we've made in our public private outreach.
0: Oh, interesting. And that kind of cooperation probably uh, is essential in your role as the Deputy Chief of National Security and Cybercrime. So tell me more a little bit about what you're seeing specifically in the cybercrime space. So I think
2: it, it, with cybercrime, what we're increasingly seeing in additional to the more uh, routine and traditional frauds, we're, we're seeing a lot of Ransomware attacks. We're seeing a lot of intrusions that are financed by or directed by hostile foreign actors, state actors. And I think that that's really upticked in the last couple of years. It's a trend that I think has been reported more generally, but we're seeing it in our casework as well which, you know, creates additional investigative challenges. Um, we can be looking at a case and and finding that our subjects could be anywhere in the world, and that creates investigative and prosecutorial uh, challenges. And on the national security space. So the national security space, I mean, that's a big, uh, big, big topic. I'll tell you that the department as a whole, the Justice Department, um, has really placed uh, a great emphasis on national security priorities really driving uh, compliance goals. And that's something that in our in our public-private outreach we're really trying to, to message. Um, the Deputy Attorney General recently said uh, in comments that made their way quickly through the compliance community that sanctions and export controls are the new FCPA, the FCPA, of course, being the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, which really was the driver of a lot of compliance initiatives over the last really decade. Um, And I think the the message that that comment is meant to send is that we're going to be increasingly concerned about any compliance concerns that impact national security. So whether that's sanctions, whether that's export controls of sensitive technology, cybercrime intrusions of critical infrastructure critical uh, financial infrastructure, banking. I think that that's where we are going to strategically be turning our our attention. I think it's a necessary shift
0: yeah and and you certainly have been involved in prosecuting some of some very very high profile cases and i'm certain that you can't talk about ones that are ongoing but maybe maybe give us a little color around the case you worked on where five russian nationals and two oil traders were charged in global sanctions evasion and money laundering scheme back in 2022
2: Yeah, sure. I I think that, you know, that case really highlights how sophisticated um, some of these networks are and how high The reach goes i mean that went all the way to some some very well-known and well-connected oligarchs i don't really like that term but (laughs) for, for, for the interest of simplicity um but you know that was a that was a worldwide operation it was very well backstopped both financially and with with corporate structures and you know one of the things that i think your your audience should be be aware of and this is sort of in the spirit of public private partnerships as well is that indictment, if you go and look at it, it's about 70 pages long, and that's intentional. Um, we want to put facts out there that our uh, private sector um, partners can look to to see what we're seeing in, as far as current trends, new techniques that that money launderers may use to to move money in products, whether it's, you know, manipulating GPS data on cargo ships or a particular jurisdiction that may not be um, well-known where where um, shell companies are incorporated. Or in, in this case, we saw the use of cryptocurrency um, in the millions of dollars brokering uh, oil transactions for literally millions of barrels. So I would encourage people who are working in this space To not just rely on a news article or a press release when one of these cases comes out but to look at the actual charging document because we're making a concerted effort to put a lot of the facts out there um, for public consumption so people can use those tools and those that knowledge as compliance professionals.
0: Yeah, that, and, and that, is, that is so important. Well, you've given us quite a bit of your time, and you clearly have important work to carry on with, but I can't let you go without asking you, you know, with the name Artie McConnell, you clearly have some Irish roots.
2: I sure do. Um, back in the eighteen hundreds, um, my my great grandparents came over here from Ireland. Uh like most New Yorkers, we have uh <laughs> you can probably get a little bit of Irish in, in all of us and certainly been diluted since uh the generations have passed, but um something I'm I'm very, very proud of and and um I I look forward to uh, joining you all in in May and at the uh, European Anti Financial Crime Summit.
0: Yeah, that's great. We look forward to welcoming you home there and maybe uh, showing some Irish hospitality while you're here. For those that are listening, that European Anti Financial Crime Summit in 2024 brings together uh, international anti financial crime leaders from banking, fintech, regulators, and law enforcement, like Artie. And um, so, we look forward to welcoming you then.
2: Well, what could be better? What could be better than a few pints of the black stuff and talking uh, financial crime compliance?
0: I I can't think of anything, Artie. And we look forward to that. Thank you again for your time today. And uh, we look forward to hearing more from you and certainly following the great work that you're doing. Well done. So thank you very much for being with us today, Artie. Thank
2: you.
1: We hope that you enjoyed this episode of IBEC Responds. To explore our full podcast offering, visit ibec.ie slash podcasts and make sure to follow IBEC Podcast to stay up to date with new episodes.
0: IBEC, the voice of Irish business.